What's up, Christwalk? How's everybody doing this morning? So, so good to see you guys. Great to be with you today as we close out this fourth installment of The Power of Routine. We've talked about a lot of good stuff since the beginning of the year. We've talked about Bible reading and got you started off at the beginning um, reading your Bible and understanding the importance of why, it's, why you need to be in God's Word every single day. And then we talked about prayer. We kicked off this 21 days of prayer. We're, we're 14 days or so in. I think this is maybe day 15. So we are on the home stretch of that. And then uh, last week we talked about fasting and we added fasting in to the 21 days of prayer. Anybody out there been fasting? Want to raise your hand? Want to own up to it? Yeah. It's been awesome. I know that I've been doing some fasting, and the Lord has just really used this time to um, draw me closer to him and to prepare me for some of the things that are coming right around the corner. And it's been an incredible time in his word, and I'm, I'm just excited about being here and getting to close out today uh, as we talk about the power of Christ-centered community Christ-centered community. So if you got your Bibles or a mobile device you want to you open with me or swipe with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, that is in almost all the way to the end of the New Testament. Your Bible is divided in these two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, almost all the way to the end, Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to land there in just a moment. But I want to talk to you. I'm going to go ahead and, and just set this up and tell you what we're going to be talking about so that nobody, nobody has to wonder. In case you're taking notes or whatever, you want to write this at the top of your page. Here's my idea for today. We are better together. We are better together. Say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. We are better together. That's what I want to talk to you about for just a few moments this morning. Um, I was reading a recent study this week that approximately 30% of Americans, that's us, so right at one-third of us, say that we've experienced periods in our life where we haven't felt close to anybody. We haven't felt close to another human being. One-third of Americans say, I've experienced these periods in my life where I don't feel close to anybody. And that leads to things like bitterness and depression and loneliness. And did you know that there's actually been studies done that, that when, when bitterness takes root in someone's life and depression takes root in someone's life, loneliness takes root in someone's life, if those, aren't, if, if those situations aren't addressed quick, fast, and in a hurry, do you know what that can lead to? Early death. There's actually studies that show this. It's crazy. And it starts with us just pulling back from being in relationship with other people. We find ourselves walking through these seasons and we say, man, I just, I don't feel close to anybody. And that's a problem. That is a problem if you ask me. Because here's the reason it's a problem. We were created, you and me, we were created to be in community. We were created for community. And there's a lot of definitions of the word community, but for our purposes today, what I would like to, what, like a working definition for us in terms of community would simply be the people that you do life with. Community is the people that you do life with. And so for every single person in this room, that's going to look and feel a little bit different because we all do life with different people. 
We all run in some different circles. Some of them overlap. They're the same. But that's the working definition of community, that we were created to, we were created to do life with other people. In fact, this was part of God's original plan for us all the way back at the beginning. When we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, which actually means beginning, we we look at chapter 2, and we find right there off the bat, chapter 2, verse 18, God has, he's he's created the earth, and, and he's added all of these things, and then finally he creates man, he creates Adam, And then God steps back and he looks at his creation and the Bible says that God says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. From the very beginning, God saw, man, it is not good for humans to be by themselves. Because when they get by themselves, bad stuff happens. That's why he said it is not good. We were created to be in community with one another, but our natural instinct goes against that. Did you know that? Our natural instinct as human beings, particularly when crisis arises in our life, is to pull back. It's to step away. It's to let go of relationships. It's to get alone by ourselves, to isolate ourselves from other people. I mean, think about it. You've experienced this before in your life, probably. Maybe you have a rough day at work. It's just nothing seems to go your way. You were, you were just, the, the boss came in and, and, and he, was, he was on top of you and he was just giving you a hard time and nothing seemed to go right and everything. And on the way home, you just want to stop for some good Chinese takeout, go home, lock the door and watch Netflix for six hours until it's time to go to bed. You've done that before. Or maybe, maybe you've been dumped by a girlfriend or a boyfriend you want to stop by Publix and get the extra large Haagen-Dazs ice cream and just go home and sit in the dark and just eat your troubles away. You know, we've experienced that before. Or maybe you receive an upsetting report for the, from the doctor. And after that appointment, you get in your car and you just drive. You got the tunes blaring and you just, I just got to get out of here. I got to clear my head. I don't want to be around anybody. Or maybe life just gets really busy and you start to say, I I don't have time for that. I don't have have time to go to church. There's just too much going on. I don't have have time to go to my small group. I'm too busy. There's just too many things going on and something's got to give. Something has to be removed from the schedule. And typically, it's church and being around other believers that is the first thing to go. And here's the deal. When life throws us curveballs, isolation is what we turn to as the cure. And this is part of the devil's plan for you and me. Did you realize that the devil has a plan for your life in the same way that God has a plan for your life? Like, he's a smart cookie, okay? Now, I'm not here this morning on this platform to to build up the devil, but he knows a little bit about what he is doing. And in the same way that God has a plan for you, the devil, your enemy, he's got a plan for you too. It's the first rule of the savannah. This is the devil's plan. We think about lions 
hunting zebras, right? You guys have seen this on National Geographic. I've got a few volunteers that are going to come help me this morning as they're coming. The first rule of the savanna is this. Stay with the pack. Everybody say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Stay with the pack. If you're taking notes, you probably want to write that down. This is what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5. In verse 8, he says, Control yourselves and be careful because the devil, your enemy, goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat. And so... The lion in the savannah, you've seen this on TV, lurks and approaches. You know, he's low to the ground and he's sneaking up and he sees those yummy zebras right over there. But the lion is smart. The lion knows if I go in and try to attack, attack all of them at once, they're going to trample me to death. So the lion knows I've got to get one of them Alone, And so he weaves his way and he twists and turns and he moves and manipulates the pack of zebras until he can isolate one of them. And then he's not worried about those three. Then he only has to worry about this one. And that is when the lion pounces and takes down the zebra when he gets it all by itself. And that is the same way that the devil hunts us. Thank you guys so much. You guys can be seated. Give our volunteers a hand. They did a great job. I was going to have them make zebra noises, but then I remembered I don't know what noise a zebra makes. I don't know if I've ever heard it do anything. See, first the enemy wants to isolate you from everyone else because he hunts with a purpose. But it doesn't end there. We, we read later um, in, in the Gospels in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief, this is talking about the devil, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is Jesus talking. He says, but I came to give life, life in all its fullness. All right, so the thief, the devil, our enemy, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. What does he want to steal from us? What does he want to kill? What does he want to destroy? Well, it's, it's very simple. The devil wants to steal from you the things that you hold dear, the things that you value. The devil wants to take those things away from you. He wants to rob you of your health. He wants to rob you of your wealth or your stuff. He wants to rob you of your family, your relationships with other people. He wants to take all of those things away from you. And then when the devil has stolen those things, he doesn't stop there. Because when he's stolen your health and your wealth, your stuff, your relationships, then he wants to kill your joy. See, when you have everything taken away from you, then the next step, he wants to kill your joy. And finally, he wants to bring the death blow. He wants to destroy your spirit. When he steals everything you hold dear, kills the joy that's inside of you, and then he totally destroys your spirit. That is the plan that, God, or that the devil has for your life. But... The good news is, is that God has a plan too. And that plan starts with this idea right here. It's what I said at the very beginning. God's plan for you starts from this idea that we are better 
together. Open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 23 through 25. My translation reads this way. It says, let us hold firmly to the hope. Say, hold firmly to the hope. Let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed. Because we can trust God to do what he promised. Let us think about each other and help each other. Say, help each other. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Say, meet together. Do this even more as you see the day coming. So that's what God's word says for us today. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Because here's three things that you and I need to do in response to the idea that we are better together. Three very simple, very easy things. The first one comes to us out of verse 23 that I just read. And that is, hold on. You and I need to hold on. It says right there in that passage, let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed because we can trust God to do what he promised. We need to hold on to the hope of God's promises. See this word hope, when you look at it in the Greek, you get the word el peace, and it literally means an expectation of good, an expectation of good. Of good. See, this hope, it is not contingent upon your present circumstances. Rather, it points you to a better future. Okay? It's not contingent upon your present circumstances, but it points you to a better future. It's based on the very promises of God that we find in His Word. So, my question for you today is what has God promised you? What has God promised you? What has God promised you about your marriage? What kind of promises, when you read God's word, what kind of promises have you discovered about your kids and your family? What are the things from God's word that he's promised you about your finances or your health? See, some of you may say, I'm reading the promises of God, but that's not what is happening in my life. Well, I'm here to tell you that your current situation is not indicative of the future that God has in store for you. And so if you would be able to rise above your current situation, what you're walking through right now, and realize that God has something new, God has something different, God has something abundantly above anything that you could ask or think prepared for you in the future, then that would help you to walk through the things that you're dealing with right now. And if you don't believe that what I'm saying is true, well, it spells it out for us right here in God's word in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. 
So regardless of what you're walking through right now, you've got to reach out and take hold of the promises that God has given you from his word to know that what I'm experiencing right now is not the end. It's just a season. And God has something so much better for me over here once I walk through it. But I've got to depend on him to carry me through. Hold on to the promises of God. Second thing comes to us from verse 24. It says, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. Not only do we need to hold on, we've got to help up. Help up. This word help literally means to provoke or to irritate. Some of you that are married know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Quit, quit. I saw some elbows flying. I, I wasn't pointing any fingers, especially not at my wife, because she's perfect. Right? Is that how I needed to say that, honey? Is that, is that what you told me to say? Good. This word to provoke or irritate, this help word, it, 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 it's some, some translations say to spur on. It literally comes from this idea of like a cowboy that wears spurs on his boots. That when he's riding a horse, he jabs them into the ribs of the horse in order to get it to make forward progress. And that's uncomfortable, right? That probably doesn't feel good. But we need people in our life to, to help us. To spur us on towards love and good deeds. Luke, my son, he just turned 12 yesterday. Um, he is my favorite basketball player. I love watching him play basketball. And he, he's playing basketball. And, and this year, I'm just watching from the stands. Um, in previous years, I've actually coached him from the sidelines. But I try to live out this verse during those basketball games. Because, see, the, the referees, they'll make a terrible call. And I want to spur them on towards good deeds. And so I will yell out and let them know that they've made a terrible call. I'm just trying to help. And from the stands, it's not so bad. But when I used to be on the sidelines, they would actually give awards away to coaches that did this. It was called a technical foul. And if you get two of them, they ask you to leave the gymnasium. It's like a, they do a special procession and everybody claps and cheers. It's like a little parade. It's pretty cool. And so when I'm in the stands now watching Luke play and I feel the need to spur on the referee towards good deeds, my wife is sitting next to me and she feels the need to spur on me towards love and good deeds and reminds me that maybe... The best thing for one of the pastors at a local church to do is not to holler out at the referee telling them how blind they are or how much of an idiot they are or how could you miss that call? <laughs> so here's the deal. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We make each other better. We sharpen each other. But have you ever sharpened iron with iron? You know what happens when you do that? Sparks fly. 
Because it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. And the reason we are better together is because when you surround yourself with other people and and you give them permission to speak into your life and you give them the opportunities to say, hey, you're not cutting the mustard right here. Hey, this is something that you need to address. Hey, there's sin in your life that you need to rectify That's not going to be easy. Sparks are going to fly. You are going to butt heads, but it will make you better if you will heed the counsel of the godly in your life. We've got to be there for each other to help up. So we need to hold on to the promises of God. We need to help up and spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And then finally, from verse 25, which reads this, You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as you see the day coming. We gotta hold on, we gotta help up, we gotta hang out. We gotta hang out. It's important for us to be together. You can't encourage someone and remind them of the promises of God in their life if you're not in their presence. You can't help up someone. You can't spur them on to love and good deeds if you aren't first together in the same vicinity. So we have to hang out. It's so important for us to be together. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And there's a, there, for those of you that, that you know, maybe you haven't seen it or, or maybe it's been a while and, and you need your memory jogged or whatever, there's a time when, when Forrest... Um, he goes, he gets drafted, and he goes to the war in Vietnam, and he meets his best friend there, Bubba. And they're, they're, they're out in the jungles of Vietnam, and it's during the monsoon season, and there's big old fat rain and little bitty stinging rain and rain that flew in sideways and sometimes even rain that came up from underneath, and it just rained and rained and rained and rained. And there's a time when Forrest and Bubba, they're getting ready to get a few winks. They're getting ready to get some shut-eye, get some rest, because they know they got to they gotta march along. they got a long hike ahead of them the next day. And so they're sitting there, and Bubba, in his profound Um, backwater Alabama wisdom, he looks right at Forrest and he says this, I'm going to lean up against you. You just lean right back against me. This way we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. (laughs) You know why we a good partnership, Forrest? Because we be watching out for one another like brothers and stuff. We have to depend on each other. Otherwise, we're going to be sleeping with our heads in the mud. And nobody wants to do that. Let me give you an example of how we have to depend on each other. A little over a month ago, we took up an offering here um, called Heart for the House. Many of you remember it. Some of you have probably been wondering when we were going to give you an update on it. Well, it's right now, so just get ready. You guys know that when we did this remodel that we've been in for just over a year, we incurred a little bit of debt. And at the time that we took up the offering, this church owed a little less than $38,000 total. And so our goal was to raise some money to help offset the cost of that mortgage so that we could get it down to where we can finish paying it off this year. And because of God's faithfulness and your generosity, 
we brought in $13,750.02 that we just mailed a check for to bring down the total of the mortgage that we owe. And we've set a goal as a staff and as a church to press forward to completely eradicate that debt in this calendar year. $13,750.02. Here's what I know. I couldn't have written that check by myself and not gone to jail. (laughs) See, here's the thing. Some people gave a little bit and some people gave a lot, but we all gave together. And that is what made the difference. There is strength in numbers. And maybe you can't do a whole bunch, but when you take your little bit and you combine it with a little bit of the person next to you and they combine it with a little bit of the person next to them, then you bring it together and it brings forth increase and God's blessings through the little bitty pieces that the whole group is able to add become so much more than any one person could do by themselves. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Now look back at him and say, and you need me too. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this is one of my favorite passages. I love this. Verses 9 through 12, it says, Two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But it is bad for the person who is alone and falls because there's no one there to help. If two lie down together, they will be warm. Unless it's your wife and she puts her ice-cold popsicle feet over on your leg in the bed. If two lie down together, they will be warm. But a person alone will not be warm. An enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. A rope that is woven of three strings is hard to break. Those three strings, it's you, it's them, and it's God. And if you bring that combination together, you become unbreakable. You and them and God, because there is strength in numbers. There's an old African proverb that I love. It says something like this. It says, if you want to go fast... Go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Because we are better together. And what might happen if we begin to live our lives in accordance with this idea or this principle? What if, what if we started to put this to practice in our lives? What would, what would our lives look like for those of us who maybe were new Christians And we decided we were going to surround ourselves with a group of of seasoned, faithful veterans of the faith to show us what it's like to truly be a disciple of Christ. What kind of impact would that have? What about for those of us that might be struggling in our marriage? What if we sought out godly counsel from a group of married couples who have been through a few things along the way? They've walked through the fire in their marriage and because of God's help, they've made it across to the other side and they're living to tell the story. What would happen in our marriages if we sought those people out and said, hey, will you just walk alongside us through this season? 
What would God do in our finances if we surrounded ourselves with people who are living lives of good stewardship of God's blessings and living lives of generosity and we said, hey, will you teach me how to do the things that you're doing? How would that set us up for future success and blessing if we did that? What about for those of us like me and Sarah who were trying to raise godly children? We're trying to figure this out. What if we found some people who have managed to develop love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in and through the lives of their home and their children? What if we found some of those people and said, hey, teach us to do what you did? How could that change the way we're able to raise our kids? I believe if we did those things and others like them, it would be the catalyst. It would be the game changer in our lives. And the good news is it's within reach. In fact, we offer something just like this right here at Christ Walk. It's called small groups. And in fact, registration for this upcoming semester of small groups starts today. You know what? I believe so strongly in the power of small groups that when I got my master's degree, I wrote my master's thesis on the power of small groups. I stand here before you today, not just, not just talking about small groups because I, it's, it's like a cool thing or it's like a buzz thing or whatever. I stand here before you today as a product of the power of small groups. I am who I am today, and I have the platform that I have today because I was able to, at different seasons during my life, surround people, surround myself with people who encouraged me and spurred me on and made me me better. They challenged me, they stretched me, they helped me to grow, and those people, even though we're not related by blood, those people are now my family. And so when I walked across the stage to receive my master's diploma, they announced really loud the title of my thesis. And whereas everyone else's was like a bunch of words that you couldn't pronounce, and it was like, I wonder what that's about. It was a proud moment for me when I walked across the stage and they said, and his thesis title was, Small Groups Are a Big Deal. It's as simple as that. Small groups are a big deal because we are better together. And you have an opportunity today to take the step that you need to take so that you can hold on to God's promises, so that you can be helped up and spurred on towards love and good deeds, so that you can hang out with other believers to be the catalyst for change in your life. There's a card that was in your seat today. Everybody to pull that out, it looks like this. It's got some really handsome people on it, maybe some others that are not so handsome. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not naming names. That was a joke. These are the groups that we're offering this semester. You can find out more about them um, by visiting groups.thechristwalk.com. Also, for the very first time, we're doing 100% online registration for our group. So you go to that web address, groups.thechristwalk.com. You can do it like right now from your smartphone. And you can see all these groups listed front and back. 
and you can register for one of those groups. I would love nothing more than for us to have 100% of this church involved in a small group. And I know, let me go ahead and head this off at the pass, okay? I'm as serious as I can possibly be right now. Some of you are going to look at this and you're going to go, ah, there's no group for me. There's no group that I fit into. Let me tell you what that is. That's the Holy Spirit saying you need to start a group of your own for people like you then. And we can make a way for you to do that because I believe in the power of small groups. So here's what we're going to do. If you don't have a smartphone or you're technologically challenged, we've even got a couple stations outside where you can register today. Someone will be there to assist you, to help you. The registration process is quick, easy, painless. It's super simple. But I want to challenge all of you to join a small group and commit to being a part of it because we are better together. What a great time to be a part of the church. What a, what a great day to be here and just to get started off at the beginning of this new year knowing I'm going to surround myself with a group of like-minded believers and we're going to challenge each other to go further than we've ever gone before and to be better than we've ever been. And you can do that today. If you've got questions about any of these groups, the leaders are going to be right outside at the close of service. So look at those pictures there and then find those people and you can ask them questions. They're prepared. They're here to answer any questions that you have. And I would encourage you guys, get in a group. Or if there's not one for you, call me and we'll start one. You can be the leader. And it'll be awesome because we are better together. Amen?